From the Financial Times in London, I'm Andrew Ward and this is FT News. We've had further positive data in recent days from one of the Ebola vaccines rushed into development during the epidemic in West Africa. The results from a public-private consortium led by Johnson & Johnson added to promising progress from two other Ebola vaccines, from Merck and GlaxoSmithKline. Yet these new weapons have arrived too late to save any of the 11,000 people who died during the outbreak. And now the world once again finds itself without a vaccine to fight a new health scourge as Zika spreads through Latin America. I'm joined by Charlie Weller, who's in charge of vaccine strategy at the Wellcome Trust, the world's second largest health charity after the Gates Foundation. Charlie, you and the Wellcome Trust were in the thick of the Ebola response as part of the so-called Team B that was helping to advise and lay the groundwork for the Ebola vaccines that have been under development. We'll talk a bit more about that in a moment, but without for a minute diminishing the achievements over the past two years, is it disheartening at all that you've made all this progress only to find that the world's attention has moved on now to a new crisis in Zika? Well, of course it is. Just to let you know the current situation with the Ebola vaccines, we don't have an Ebola vaccine yet licensed. We have one from Merck, which we're partnering with, which has shown good efficacy data. But there's a long way and there's a lot yet to be done to license that vaccine. There's lots of unanswered questions. So tell us, Charlie, you got very encouraging mid-stage trial data that showed that the vaccine works. I think you got a 100% response. So why isn't that good enough? Why can't we now say for sure that we have an effective Ebola vaccine? The data was preliminary data. And until the trial is finished or the data has been analysed, the data then cannot be put towards licensing. Most of the vaccine trials were done on healthy individuals, healthy adults. And there are a lot of unanswered questions around the full safety and efficacy of these vaccines. For example, the safety in children and those individuals who are immunocompromised. Other questions are around the regulatory pathway. So how, given that we don't have any vaccines licensed, do we respond in an Ebola epidemic, an outbreak that perhaps happens tomorrow? What do we do with these experimental vaccines? How do we use them? They can be used in a clinical trial, but they can't be used more broadly until they're licensed. So what happens now? Do these vaccines go back on the shelf until we next see an Ebola outbreak? Is there anything more that can be done in the absence of an epidemic? This is exactly the sorts of questions which have been raised in the Team B report around what frameworks and processes can we put in place so that we can finish what has been started the next time there is an Ebola epidemic, we're ready to finish what we started and we can decide which are the best vaccines. The Merck vaccine, we moved amazingly quickly. Usually it takes years to get to the point we got to and we did it in months. And this is a huge global collaborative effort. However, with the other vaccines, we still don't know. We don't know what the most appropriate vaccine is. And until we get the full data set, until we can test the rest of the vaccines in an outbreak scenario, we won't know. You were heavily involved in what's called Team B, the public-private partnership that was working with Merck on this vaccine. Tell us a little bit about the experience. It must have been exhausting, perhaps even exhilarating in some ways, responding in that emergency situation. 
anyone who's been involved in the Ebola outbreak was probably doing two jobs at the same time. They were working during the day on their normal job and then during the night on Ebola-related activities. And there really was an amazing amount of focus to a common goal. Pharmaceutical companies, governments, non-government organisations and all the people on the ground really working their hardest. So it really was an amazing effort. So there's been a lot of debate about the role of industry in the response to Ebola, but to public health emergencies of this kind more broadly. Some people say that the absence of an Ebola vaccine at the outset is sort of a symbol of the fact that pharma just focuses on vaccines and drugs for the rich world, neglects the developing world. Are they doing enough to tackle these kind of public health emergencies? This is a real issue which is how do we incentivize the pharmaceutical industry to get involved in vaccine development? Because they are the ones who really know, they have the expertise to develop these vaccines. How do we incentivize them to do more? So, for example, with Ebola, there were seven candidates which were in preclinical development before the Ebola outbreak, and none of them had been developed in safety trials, so phase one trials, or any further. And what we really need to address as a global community is how can we get those candidate vaccines, once they're developed, through safety trials and perhaps stockpiled so we're ready and waiting for the next outbreak, whether it's Ebola, chikungunya, whatever. And now we have a new health challenge in Zika. Is the Wellcome Trust involved at all in trying to find a vaccine for that? We are. We haven't got a coordinated response in a call form. But what we do, we've funded particular areas of research. We already fund in looking at vector-borne diseases in mosquitoes and how to control mosquitoes which transmit Zika. We are also interested in how microcephaly develops and we're funding that. And one of the most interesting challenges around vaccines is if we're able to develop a vaccine for Zika, the target population that we'd want to test it on are women who are pregnant or thinking about becoming pregnant. And those are usually the people who are excluded from clinical trials. So we're funding a piece of ethical work to look at those issues around doing clinical trials on pregnant women. We've got Zika, we've had Ebola. Before that, there was swine flu, SARS, MERS. We seem to have a succession of these outbreaks. What else do you worry about? What's coming along next? Is it possible to predict? The problem with pandemics and epidemics is that we know that there'll be another one, but we don't know where the next one will be, we don't know what it will be, and we don't know who will be involved. So it's really difficult to have a specific way to address each one. However, building frameworks and building processes by which we can respond quickly is a great way forward, and it's something that we as a global entity really should concentrate on. There are a couple of lists out there, and we can predict a few pathogens that will become a problem in the future and we should prepare for that. However, there are also the unknown pathogens where we we don't know they're going to be a problem until they arise. So building these frameworks and pre-agreed processes is one way in which we can prepare. In addition, there have been four high-level reports which have looked at the Ebola epidemic and how we can prepare for the next epidemic. And there's three take-home messages really. Firstly, looking at healthcare systems in country and making sure that they're as strong as can be because many countries lack those basic healthcare systems. Secondly, a body like WHO, which can have the authority to lead against an epidemic. And thirdly, the tools, the vaccines and drugs we need to treat and prevent the next epidemic. Charlie Weller from the Wellcome Trust, thank you very much.